0: appreciate your being here for this afternoon service, and uh, my intent this afternoon is to start at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, and then just move forward here as far as the time will allow us. If you've read 1 Corinthians, you know that the church at Corinth was one that had numerous problems in it, over a dozen significant problems in this church at Corinth. Well, Paul begins to address these as we proceed through 1 Corinthians. And one thing that will be uh, very interesting to the reader as he begins is the order of of these problems as they are addressed. And uh, the first problem that Paul is going to address at Corinth is the divided state that they are in. Uh, He's going to sharply rebuke them for this, teach them the importance of unity, and he's going to address problems that underlie the disunity. These are the things that lead to this disunity. In verse 10 he says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Of course you know what beseech means. I'm begging you, this is a very important matter, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Now, how important is this? Well, if you'll go over to Ephesians chapter 1, You'll read there where God has made known unto us the mystery of his will. This is verse 9. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and on earth. What that verse is saying is that God's final gift to his beloved son will be a unified family of God. Yes. Now I think that God the Father knows what kind of presents his son likes. You know, I'm terrible at buying presents. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, my son John back there, he's good at it. He knows just exactly what his mama wants and what his sister wants, and so during Christmas he makes me look like an idiot. <laughs> they open their present from John, and it's just wonderful. And then they open their present from me, and they want to know what in the world possessed you <laughs> to think that I want this. God knows what kind of gift his son wants. Yes. The final present he gives to his son is a unified family of God. That tells me this is what the son wants. And it's so important that the Apostle Paul will begin to talk about the dividers at Corinth and those who had been complicit with the divisions. Mm -hmm. And he'll say this about them He said, I thank my God I didn't baptize any of you. Mm -hmm. That's right. Now, if I were to say, I thank God that I didn't baptize old Philip Dukes. It is safe for you to assume that I am ticked. (laughs) Paul is mad that they have allowed God's kingdom to be divided. And then he begins to talk about why they were divided. Part of this was they were following men. Some of you are saying, I'm of Paul. And I'm of Cephas. And I am of Apollos and thank God there was a few of them saying, I am of Christ. Mm -hmm. You see. But they're following men. They're not following the Bible. And by the way, when he said earlier we need to be of the same mind, that doesn't mean you have to capitulate to me or that I have to capitulate to you. But what it does mean is that we all have to be following the same rule book, the same instruction standard. We have to be studious in the Word of God. Now you may say that won't work because look at all the denominations we have. The reason you have all those denominations is because people weren't doing Mm -hmm. what the Bible commanded. They were following uh, men, the teachings of men and not reading the Word of God. The older I get, the more I learn from the Bible, the more evident this becomes to me. A few days ago, I went to uh, many websites of Reformed Baptist churches. You know, I'm right proud of the Reformed Baptists. They have uh, come to a lot of truth, and they're getting very close to Primitive Baptists and a lot of their beliefs. That's good. But I was really surprised at how many of those websites were touting the London Confession of Faith. This is how they identified themselves. By the London Confession of Faith. Well, guess what? We primitive Baptists were bragging about the London Confession of Faith before the Reformed Baptists even existed. But true Baptists do not define themselves by human creeds. Right, right. That's a point that we've long made. Yeah. And that document has got errors in it, mm-hmm. just like all human documents do. And in fact, it's got some errors in there, that would uh, even be rejected by the people who wrote it. <laughs> there are some things in there that the old particular Baptist who wrote it didn't believe. Just careless wording, uh, other things. By the way, some of those eras are the very things that a lot of people have latched on to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what they've latched on to. So honor it but your rule of faith and practice is the Bible. It is, of course, important that we know what the terms of unity are. Uh, a Mississippian can't come over to Alabama and tell people, I'll fellowship you if you'll pull for the Bulldogs of Mississippi State. Now, Brother Charles over there will do that, but I won't be that unreasonable. You, say. Uh, you can't do that. I've seen uh, some old Baptist preachers that would say, oh, you can't fellowship that Philip Dukes. Well, what's wrong with it? Oh, he parts his hair the wrong way. You know, nonsense like that. And most of what primitive Baptists fuss over is nonsense, if you want to know the truth about it. I'm way beyond being skeptical about these things. I'm cynical. Back when I was young, Everybody was preaching, Dad, that we're about to kill him. And he was preaching for this faction this week and that faction that week. And a lot of times I'd be a big old boy sitting on the pew and Lynn, my sister, somebody would lean over and say to me, Do you know we're on the other side tonight? And I'd say, What do you mean we're on the other? This can't be the other side. I learned very quickly, the old Baptists are basically... The same people. They're remarkably the same people wherever you go. And when they get divided, it's usually because they're following somebody who's a divider. That's what, that's what they do. That's right. yep. I've seen some of them. They've been doing it for their whole lives. Dividing people. And you know what Paul would say about them? Thank God I didn't baptize you. <laughs> right we need to live in peace Inasmuch as much as life within us we need to live in peace with all men especially the household of faith and not be followers of men we are unified in Jesus Christ Yes. that's where we must agree we must agree on Christ we must agree on his truth now uh The next thing Paul will begin to address here at Carat will be their haughtiness, their conceit. They're thinking of themselves as being intellectuals, theologians, things like this. And he lets them know that uh, the people of God have always been a humble people, held in contempt by their communities. That's the way it's always been. You know, even someone like Elijah was held in great honor after he was dead. But when he was alive, people didn't want to have anything to do with him. And uh, he even thought he was the last true worshiper of God in the world. After Jeremiah died, a lot of those Jews said, you know, Everything that man said has happened. Well, we should have respected him a little more. He was a true prophet of God, but they didn't know that while he was alive. Oh, no. That's not how it works. God's people have always been disdained by the world, and oftentimes even by those of religion. He explains, verse 18, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. To a person who's perishing, that is, he's in a condemned state and he's in a hell-bound state. And, and by the way, the Greek here uh, would, would suggest the idea that he is perishing. He's in an ongoing perishing state. To that sort of man, the preaching of the cross is foolishness. Mm -hmm. Well, how are we going to reach him then? How are we going to reach him? You can't reach him. Not by preaching. He can only be reached by the Holy Spirit of God. God's got to change his heart for him to receive the preaching of the gospel. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. God has made idiots out of all these great wise people of the past, you see. So take those old Egyptian priests uh, who were held in great esteem in Egyptian society as they directed you into the uh, worship of their multitude of gods. I think maybe they had nine primary gods and many other gods. And these priests were buried in elaborate sepulchres almost Uh, equal to those of royalty, and uh, they were counted as being very wise and things like this. Well, uh, what does the modern world think about those Egyptian priests with the things that we have learned? Mm -hmm. Well, here's what we think, they're a bunch of idiots. (laughs) Superstitious idiots. Or think about the oracle at Delphi, held in great wisdom. What do we think now? It was somebody high on dope, you know, giving us their hallucinations, things like this. So if you are in defiance to the teachings of God, God's going to make an idiot out of you. It may be now, it may be later, but that time is coming. After that and the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom (coughs) knew not God. That is, it was in the deliberate design of God that he would not be completely discoverable through nature, logic, reason, things like this. Right. And we can see it as we go all over the world. Let's, let's go anywhere in the world before the Bible got to it. And let's look at what those people believed. Was it anywhere near the truth? It was way off, way off. A lot of what they call religion should have been called abomination. Mm -hmm. And uh, oftentimes, uh, extreme ideas like uh, human sacrifices and things like this, just disgusting religion. In fact, it's even difficult for me to watch shows about the old Incas, or the Mayas, or the old Egyptians, because I'm just sitting there pained that members of my own species could be that ignorant, you see. And, uh, by the way, maybe they weren't. You know, what's been left you from those old cultures are the great megalithic structures built by the rich, the famous, the powerful, well, Paul is about to tell you, uh, that's the worst place to go looking for a child of God. Right. This may not have been indicative of all the people in those cultures. Uh, may not have been indicative at all. But here's what we notice as we go around the world. That uh, people who were not blessed with the revelation of the Bible were desperately lost when it came to having a true understanding of God. For the Jew require a sign and the Greek seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified under the Jews as stumbling block and under the Greeks foolishness. Here's one thing that's amazing to me about the Bible. The Jews very faithfully Preserved the Bible, making meticulously checked copies of it as they went and did this for hundreds and hundreds of years. Yet, they could not make sense of the book. Mm. There's no way they could make sense of the book. Oh, without Jesus Christ, you can't make sense of the book. The book is nonsense. (laughs) Without Jesus Christ. You hear me? It's nonsense. Without Jesus Christ, it's the same old nonsense that you got in all the other religions of the world. You throw Jesus in and you have something that is brilliant beyond uh, the collective intelligence of all humans that have ever lived. Well, the Jews couldn't make sense of it. But because there were signs in it and miracles and things like that, they honored it, they preserved it, carried it for I don't think Gentiles would have done that. Gentiles would have pitched it in the trash. We can't make sense of this. Yep. Let's move on to something else. Paul said the Gentiles seek after wisdom. It's important to them that things make sense. Now, uh, we like signs too. Yep. But it's more important to Gentiles that things make sense. And... Uh, that's interesting isn't it that over the period of history where you couldn't make sense of the bible god put it in the hands of people who didn't care that it didn't make sense all they wanted was the signs and then when god was ready for people to make sense of the bible he moved the bible over into the hands of people who wanted to make sense of it makes you think god knows what he's doing You The Jew require a sign in the Greek, seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and under the Greeks foolishness. Now, uh, that verse has uh, a paradox in it. Did you catch the paradox in the verse? The Jews want signs. Well, if they want signs, they ought to love Jesus Christ. Whoever worked more signs than Jesus Christ? The Greeks want wisdom. Well, if they want wisdom, they ought to love Jesus Christ. Because you won't find people saying, I did what Jesus said and man, did I ever mess up. You've never heard that in your life. You say, Now, they say that about Sigmund Freud and Dr. Spock and Adolf Hitler and Benito Mussolini, but nobody's saying that about Jesus Christ, that I did what he said and what a mess I made. They're regretting they didn't do what he said. So if the Greeks love wisdom, they ought to love Jesus Christ. But we preach Christ unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. You see, there's a paradox. And the paradox is resolved when you understand the depravity of man. I don't care what your bloodline is. You were born in a state of spiritual death. But unto them which are called, we preach Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. And then that verse teach you that... uh, there's got to be some kind of calling other than a gospel calling? That's correct. Speaking of a creed, I saw a Baptist creed one time that actually stated there is no calling in the Bible other than gospel calling. So, I sent that flying to the garbage can as quick as I could get it there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A Baptist making claims like that. There's got to be something other than a gospel calling because he says the gospel was sent to the Jews, the gospel was sent to the Greeks, they were all under the gospel call. Uh, the, the Jews found it to be a stumbling block, and the Greeks found it to be foolishness. What? The gospel call. Yeah. But to them that are called, how? Not with a gospel call, but with an effectual call. Right. To them that are called, we preach Christ the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, are called. You remember over in the days of Nebuchadnezzar, When uh, he had his dream about the image, he brings in all the wise men. Brings in all the professors from Berkeley and Yale and all this. He brings in all these wise men. They can't make sense of it. Later on, when the handwriting's on the wall, they bring them all in again. They can't make sense of it. Pharaoh has his dreams inspired by God he brings in all his wise men, they can't make sense of it. There's symbolism in all these things. The wise of this world have never been able to make sense of the inspiration of God, and they never will. I don't care how many degrees they've got, they'll never make sense of the wisdom of God. All right, now, you see your calling, brethren. Not many wise, not many mighty, Not many noble are called. When you look at the composition of the early church, you would think a priori, or before the fact, all them Jewish priests and elders and synagogue leaders, they'll be the ones that will come over to Christianity and Jesus Christ because they're the ones that know the Bible the best. And think about them scribes. They make copies of the Bible for a living. That's how they make a living. So these will be the ones who will come into the church in the biggest numbers. And in fact, they'll probably be uh, the preachers of the first churches. And the priests, especially, those priests will come over in great numbers. That is exactly what didn't happen. That is exactly what did not happen. And... In the Old Testament, there were many prophecies saying that would not happen. Not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. There are some, but there's not many. And when you look up uh, to the government of the United States and you see godly people there, you need to understand that's the exception. That's not the rule. That's the exception. That's there as the intervening hand of God and the result of your prayers. That's not how things usually work out. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world, and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring naught to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. You ever notice that uh, in the Bible, little things are used to represent big things. Earthly things used to represent heavenly things. God used small things to communicate big ideas. And oftentimes, God presented his truth in ways that were either deliberately confounding or deliberately odious to the nature of man. People were turned off by it. It's still happening today. You get a powerful picture of this in John 9. Jesus comes upon a blind man. And Jesus gives him sight. How does he do this? He spits Mm -hmm. and makes mud and puts it on the eyes of this man. Now that's strange because if the man could see, that would have made him go blind. (coughs) Right? Right? That's not coincidental. That's the point. Jesus explains, For judgment am I come into this world that they which see not might see, and that they which see might be made blind. The same methodology that caused a blind man to see would have caused a seeing man to go blind. All right, now why do you spit? Do you like it when someone spits in your eyes? So that is one of the most repulsive things to us when somebody spits in our eye, you know, You've seen people they want to get right in your face when they talk to you, and you're worried that a little piece of spit's gonna come out, hit you in the eye, and so you just keep backing up and some of them will just keep coming right at you, you know. <laughs> Wanna get right in your face when they talk. Because this is this is repulsive to us. We instinctively, impulsively shield our faces or withdraw from this. We don't want it. So To me, Jesus is telling you that when God opens your eyes, he does it by ways that are loathsome to carnal man, to natural man. And uh, to me, when you get over in the Old Testament, uh, there's lots of things in there that uh, they're written in such a way that an an unbeliever, an unregenerate man is going to laugh, And he's going to ridicule and all this. And he's doing exactly what God intended him to do. God's going to make a fool of him. You know, you think about, here's Moses pleading with God not to destroy the nation Israel. And then the Bible says, God repented and Moses persuaded him. So an unbeliever reads that and says, ha, ha, ha. What a bunch of superstitious nonsense this book is actually telling me that a little old man persuaded uh, this supposedly infinite God uh, against destroying an entire nation you see but we know or we should know that the Bible here is giving a picture of a great heavenly transaction where Jesus interceded for his people. That's what it's about. The Bible's telling the story of Jesus. You know, I think about over in the law, there was this purification ritual from others. Now listen to this, and I'll guarantee uh, this is going to make a lot of people in America mad. If you were a new mother and you had given birth to a boy. Then under the law, you were physically unclean for seven days. The boy was circumcised on the eighth. You would be ceremonially unclean for another 33. At the end of that, you would offer some certain sacrifices and then you were clean. But if you gave birth to a girl, all that was doubled. You were physically unclean for fourteen, and you were ceremonially unclean for sixty-six. And uh, I've read on the internet. In fact, I would I would encourage you get on the internet and do a, a search on that, and look at all the nonsense people have out there about that. And And some of it is highly critical. Oh, misogyny. (laughs) Misogyny. This shows the Bible is an ancient, obsolete book. This is why we're going to put a woman in the pulpit, because the Bible is obviously uh, a prejudicial book. All right. Now, uh, Paul said it's the wisdom of God. So let's try this out. In the Bible, eight is a number of new beginning. Everybody knows seven means completion, perfection. Eight means we have completed one and we started another. Mm -hmm. All right? So there were eight souls on the ark, and with them God started uh, a new world. All right, this child is circumcised on the eighth day. Because if he's the Messiah, and that's what circumcision is all about, it's a seed promise to bring the Messiah up through the children of Israel. If he's the Messiah, an old regime will have passed and a new eternal one will have begun. The old covenant is over and the new has begun. It's a new beginning. So that's why we're gonna circumcise him on the eighth day, eighth day, all right? Now, once that child becomes circumcised, he's not just a baby boy, he's a Jewish baby boy. He is under the Abrahamic promise. He is potentially the Messiah. If he is the Messiah, then guess what? In 33 years, we're all gonna be clean. You see? Mm -hmm. And 33 years, when sacrifices are made, we're going to be clean. So Moses says, wait 33 days if it's a boy. You do your sacrifices. And mama, you and everybody else will be clean. All right. Now, uh, for the girl, we double this. Because in the Bible, to double a thing means to make... It immeasurably or indefinitely greater. In fact, it's used that way many times. Uh, Jerusalem, God said, I've rendered unto her double for her sins. That doesn't mean she's getting two gifts for every sin she committed. No, he's blessing her immeasurably greater than he had punished her for her sins. But to the Babylonian harlot, render to her double. You know, that doesn't mean that she's going to be punished two for one. It means she's going to be punished eternally, forever, indefinitely, immeasurably greater. This is, this is what doubling means frequently in the Bible. If that baby is a girl baby, nothing has happened that has brought the coming of the Messiah in view. It is indefinitely in the future, you see, it's not about misogyny and it's not superstition it's brilliance and it's about the Messiah but to people who read that and have no honor for the Bible it's spit it's superstition they don't want it in their eyes that's what Paul is talking about the foolishness of God is wiser than men. We preach Christ crucified unto the Jews' a stumbling block and unto the Greeks' foolishness. But of Him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. God has done this thing. He's fixed this thing up. We'll all look like foolishness to the world. That was after the wisdom of God, you remember? After that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. So how are you gonna know about Jesus Christ? You'll get that directly from God himself. Of him, are we in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. And I don't know why anyone would want to do that. It's a fun thing for me to do, right? Mm-hmm. Don't, you, don't you love glorying in the Lord? Uh, I've, I've heard that when, or I've seen when men are up in the pulpit and they're preaching about Jesus, preaching about God, their greatness. I'm always interested in that. Uh, I start going to sleep on the other nonsense, right? (laughs) We love to glory in our great God. Thank you very much. Appreciate your invitation. We hope that the Lord will bless you in the year to come.